On episode 286 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to become mentally stronger and excel under pressure. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm really appreciative of you tuning in. I'm actually in Orlando uh, for a little bit. I'm going to be playing at the USC National Tennis Center and some clinics and enjoying the warmer weather down here so really glad about that but today i put together a mental game masterclass for you featuring um, some really great advice from nick saviano on how to reach your full potential how to deal with anxiety and self-doubt and how to rise above adversity Um, some great lessons from peter freeman on why obsession is a key trait of successful tennis players and how to combat laziness and get out of your comfort zone, and some great lessons from Vesaponka on how to develop uh, a holistic pathway um, and how to have a healthy perspective about sport and life and how that helps you handle pressure better, and also how to foster internal pressure into positive motivation. And so Nick's Um, Full interview is episode 280 of the podcast. Peter Freeman's um, full interview is episode 271 and Vesapunka's is episode 226 and we'll link to all those in the show notes. But without further ado, I hope that you enjoy the great golden nuggets from these episodes about how to become mentally stronger. And here they are. Uh, I want to get into um, how players can reach their full potential because you know as as a you know podcaster who that's his main goal is to try to help players improve their game um uh, first off what do you think the biggest impediment is to uh that that prevents players from reaching their full tennis potential anxiety self-doubt a lack of skill in the fundamental life skills of success And that sounds like uh, really philosophical, but it's not, you know, fundamental principles of life success, which are at the core of my methodology, I I call my Saviano, the Saviano method. And, you know, that's a centerpiece of what I do, what I try to do in, in Maximum Tennis Online. And, you know, there are certain things that are irrefutable like the ability to deal with and rise above adversity. Um, having, um, you know, a work ethic, a perseverance, a willingness to have uh, have courage, which, as I said earlier, alluding to Nick Bolaterra, one of his great traits was that he wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. When I say vulnerable, you know, if you want to be great at anything, you have to be willing to push yourself to your limits and to expand on your current limits. It's very important. And, you know, in doing so, if you're not making mistakes 
at some point, you're not really pushing yourself hard enough. And so being willing to be vulnerable so that you could be courageous, courageous in striving and reaching for your ultimate goals, whether it's on the tennis court or off the tennis court. You want to use tennis as a vehicle by which you either coach life skills or that you cultivate life skills in those that are important to you or, you know, your students. So those are really key principles. When you see somebody struggling with their game, uh, given that they have, you know, adequate coaching or whatever it might be or opportunity, you really want to look towards the uh, the skills of, let's say, for example, let's use an example of of hitting a ball and staying focused in the moment. In the moment, when you're focused hitting the ball and you're really watching the ball closely, you know, a la Federer, if you look at Nadal, does the same thing, head still slightly after the hit, same with Alvarez, all of the great ones will, will do that on virtually all of their strokes. It's far more profoundly significant than the mechanics of it. What it means is that the person is absorbed in the hit and by doing so, they need to let go of being concerned about the outcome. They have to be absorbed in the execution. Now, that's one of the most fundamentally important life skills to be successful is whether you're you're interviewing for a job, whether you're executing in your work or you have a big test ahead of you, you must let go of the things you cannot control and stay absorbed in that which you can be controlled. And when you're doing that, you're going to flow more, you're going to perform better. And yes, you will make mistakes, but the profound, subtle, result is these are good mistakes. When you are trying to do things as well as you can and you kind of fall on your face or you make a mistake or you're struggling, that's a good thing. That's a process of learning and growing and evolving. And that's where brilliant protégés live. They live in that zone of not where they don't make mistakes. That's absurd. They make mistakes all the time, but they make good mistakes and they learn from it. They don't cringe when they make a mistake. So, okay. Uh, you know, then they go to the next one and the next one. If you watch somebody who's brilliant in math, you see them, they, they get the problem wrong and they kind of scratch their head and they look, look at it and they look at it almost with a, a fervor and, and excitement. So let me see if I can meet that challenge. How do I correct that? And that kind of passion towards growing, improving, evolving are really some of the keys to helping people reach their full potential. Conversely, when you see people that are not willing to do that, when you see people who are afraid of making mistakes, what is mom and dad going to think? What are the coaches going to think? Oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person because I had a bad loss. You were looking at someone who needs help to overcome that negative approach because that will stifle development. It will stifle creative genius. You cannot be a creative genius. You cannot be creative when you're fearful of the mistake. 
An artist can't be creative when he's saying, oh, what if I make a mistake? Well, it's the same thing in athletics. It's the same thing in, in, in tennis. You know, you've got to let it go. Now, obviously, there are a multitude of things that you can do from a pure developmental standpoint to enhance your skills. But if you're not cultivating those life skills of success, then you're going to put real limitations on yourself. Yeah, very well put, Nick. And yeah, you made me think of my very first college tennis match, which I uh, had a big lead effectively and blew it. And my coach told me to focus on the process, not the results. And, um, you know, yeah, and that takes you very far in, in all aspects of life. But I guess how do how do people who because I guess, you know, even the words themselves, like when you think of like failure um, and mistakes, like it has a negative connotation. So I guess, you know, naturally the the, the player or person, you know, when they when they lose, like they'll feel bad about the, the situation. How, how do those people who are used to it produce, you know, when they have a negative result, they they their results get even worse and their mindset. Like, how do you make the transformation to what you described in the first instance? Well, it's a process like anything else. And very often when you work with a player and you get them at 12, 13, 14 or older, or you get an adult, a world-class professional, it took a lot of years and a lot of time and effort for them to get where they are. Obviously, everyone's got positive redeeming characteristics, but we, you, we find with almost everyone we work with, there are some negatives. There are some less than optimal mindsets. So you have to take the time to explain it consciously where the person intellectually grasps what you're trying to do. And then you create systems and processes for them to work through. But one of the most important things, in my opinion, in the field of psychology is that when you see somebody out on a court and you see that they're negative, let's say they missing a serve, say, gosh, I, I always miss that shot or whatever. Yes, you, you can tell them, oh, be positive. It really doesn't help you when you get down on yourself. But for me, you have to really understand and explain why this profoundly limits them. You must elevate the, the understanding level of that individual. And one of the most important ways is to take it out of the context of tennis and use an example in life um, where it would be obvious to them. They're often not as sensitive about, oh, I just double faulted, you know, in the match five times and it cost me the match. Well, obviously they're very sensitive about their serve and all of this stuff. But, you know, talking to them about a self-fulfilling prophecy where from a negative perspective, meaning, you know, I, I always double fault in, in big matches. You know, somebody's always saying that and they go out, it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy and so they're prophesizing on what's going to happen, which in this case is a negative. And when you explain the damaging effects, not only in a tennis match, but in life, and that's really important that you see this adversely affects you in life. And you know what else? It will adversely affect your loved ones around you that are important to you in a negative way. 
now you've made it into something that's more than, oh, let's just be positive when I make a mistake on the backhand. Because one of the important things about coaching and learn, you know, helping people learn is they are going to do and work on what is meaningful and important to them. And it's fine for a coach to go out and say, or a mentor, teacher, whatever, oh, this is really important. And they're expressing how important it is to them. The goal is to take that player and make it really important to them to want to change it because they see the significance. That's when you get buy-in and somebody is going to put the time and effort to legitimately make the changes and adjustments in the way they behave for the long term. Got it, Nick. So I was trying to um, maybe create another example, like maybe you as a coach see that the player really needs to work on their serve and, right. and you know, they maybe brush it off and then you, it's kind of your job to explain to them like, well, you know, if you work on your serve, then you're going to be able to enjoy tennis more and get the results that you want to get. Like, I know that's, pro there's probably a better example out there, but I mean, is that it just, you're holistically trying to explain like why, um, why improving a particular aspect of their game will give them what they truly want. Well, yes. Um, yeah. For example, I would try to put in a positive way and explain to them how it can profoundly help them on their journey and that um, I'd also use an example if if you have an overall goal that you want to achieve let's say collegiate tennis or if you're in the seniors like I have a, a younger brother who's in the 60s um, and he's either number one or two in the United States he helped win the world championship for the United States. So he's a, he's a very good, good player. You know, it would be applicable to him. You know, recently we were talking about his serve and, and wanting to make an improvement on it and, you know, those kind of things. So that was important to him. You want to let them understand that if they have a long-term goal, like I said, say great to be in a division one school, you explain to them how by tackling this head on, it's going to help them achieve their goals. So you paint a positive vision of what is possible and you avoid painting a negative picture like, oh, your serve is really going to cost you with the ability to get into college. No, you flip it and you say, you know what? You have the potential to really improve your serve a lot. And when you do, you're going to find your hold serve easier. The game's going to be more enjoyable. You're going to be able to have a lot more wins. And that's going to help you in your goal to become a D1 college player. So you you try to turn it around, create it a real positive. And it's it's not, um, what's the word? You don't want to be pal uh, um, Pollyanna. You know, it's not, oh, you know, everything's is great. No, it's going to be hard work. Yeah, it's going to be frustrating. Yeah, you got to push yourself. But in the end, it will be worth it, that kind of situation. So, Nick. In terms of um, systems and processes being a, a very important part of, um, you know, improving the player once you've identified any issues, um, let's take the example of 
uh, let's say the individual you're, you're seeing is, is uh, exhibiting a lot of uh, negative self-talk. Um, what's a simple uh, system that you have either employed with a student that you've seen has this issue or that you would suggest? Because um, I do see that a lot with adult players um, having the negative self-talk. Well, as I was saying earlier, um, first explaining why it has such a profoundly negative impact and how it is adversely affecting them to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And also, as I said earlier, if they're adults and they have children or something along those lines, letting letting them know that this profoundly affects their children as well. Because if they're doing it here, they're doing it with their kids, whether they know it consciously, subconsciously, uh, certainly inadvertently, but we don't want to pass something like that on. So I'm all about constant growth. And when somebody realizes, often they don't, that they tend to be negative with their self-talk. And you you approach the subject not in an, an accusation, like you're so negative, but pointing out to them in hopefully a tactful way that this is something that's transpiring, then you've you've got hopefully an athlete who happens to be adult or a child that is more motivated to make some adjustments. Then from that point on, you you don't want to try to conflate issues. For example, just because someone gets mad doesn't mean that's negative self-talk. So somebody could slap themselves on the side and say, come on, move your feet, something along those lines. Well, if somebody is kind of yelling and is animated and they're negative, you're, you're not going to turn them into Mr. Stoic. And that may not be their on-court personality. And uh, you want to work with that on-court personality. But if you can get them to use that energy in a more positive way, come on, get up after your serve, let's go you know, these kind of things, or, you know, run for every ball, that's it, move your feet. Then you you give them something tangible to adjust to. And then also, there, there are many uh, common things that, uh, you know, psychologists will tell you, whatever. Then um, you, uh, you know, you miss a point, try to take a deep breath, walk around, try to flush the negative uh, thoughts away and then replace it with a more positive, uh, upbeat kind of response. You know, use um, when you're releasing energy, you can look up at the sky or be broad in your visual. And then when you start gathering your, your breathing and getting your focus together, you look down at the strings and go towards uh, whatever procedure you want to do. If it was a serve, you know, telling yourself tactically where you're going to serve. You know, you can also go into the line and tell yourself, okay, I'm going to toss and, uh, you know, turn, really explode up. So you can actually talk yourself into a, into a process of executing. Yeah, excellent stuff, Nick. And, you know, there's something else that you mentioned uh, a bit earlier, which is being able to push yourself to the limit and expand your limits. And that made me think about the interview that uh, Novak Djokovic had after his match with Daniil Medvedev, where I, I believe a journal journalist asked him about how he was able to um, 
you know, push himself. And even though he looked like he was in really bad shape um, and he was, I think, shaking at one point, if that was the right match, that how he was able to still, you know, win the match. And then um, Novak said that he, he doesn't believe there are really any limits. Um, and so uh, that was a very interesting uh, response. And then also made reminded me of um, a former Navy SEAL named David Goggins. He wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. And he said something to the effect of, um, when you are, when you think you can't go anymore, you've actually only reached forty percent of your maximum. So, I mean, this is clearly very important to be able to to push yourself to the limit and expand. So, uh, how do how do we condition ourselves to do this? Because it's obviously you know very <laughs> painful and tough to do for players and people. But um, how do we do that? Well, first of all, my philosophy is that. No human being ever reaches their full potential and ever pushes themselves to their limit. I think that um, as we get close to pushing ourselves to our full potential or to our limits, yes, it can be very painful, very challenging. But I believe there's a wonderful thing that happens with human beings is their abilities expand, their ability to do more increases and so the limits it's i don't know that anyone's really reached their full you know full limit which individual in the history of the world would you say reached their absolute full potential and you'd reflect you can go down to some of the the greatest minds leonardo da vinci michelangelo uh sir isaac newton uh the great uh philosophers and, and, you know, even in the modern times, I've never seen anybody who's really uh, been able to get every ounce of what they're capable of um, out of themselves. But that's, that's the beauty of it, is that there's, you keep pushing and evolving and growing. And when somebody thinks in a myopic perspective, like, oh, that's just about physically pushing yourself. Now, then even if somebody doesn't have the physical capacity, they have their mental capacity and they can do things mentally at another level. And I, I think it's a fascinating field. And as far as players or um, learning that, that's trained. You got, you got, to, you got to train them. You got to train them to push themselves um, obviously, you're not going to turn a 14-year-old into a Navy SEAL. Um, you you can't do that, you know. You but you help them grow and push beyond what they think they're capable of within reason. Um, demand things that they feel maybe is a little too high for them, and one encourage them when they fall on their face. Say that's okay. Pick yourself up. Keep going, but you know, that kind of mentality is going ag against the common grain in our society now, which I am adamantly opposed to. This thing about people, oh, you've, you've got to protect them emotionally and so on. Obviously, um, we're not talking about abusive situations. No one's, that's a negative all the time. Or um, somebody that is, um, and you know, intimidating people or bullying them, 
that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about look the challenges in the eye, prepare yourself and work to try to overcome it. And if it's not one day, the next day, challenge yourself. It's part of cultivating growth in your life. Without growth, there is no life. And so you need to be thinking in terms of growing, evolving, improving relentlessly. And so to answer your question, I would say it's a process that is trained. It's a process that should be encouraged and cultivated. And it's very important to teach players what I, I call my 99% rule is when you get close to 100%, nobody gets to 100 because as you get that close, you improve. And then also part of that is you must tell young people in advance that in order to really be the best you can be, you've got to be willing to give it everything you got or as close as you can on a given day, fall on your face and get up and then ha have the courage to do that, then get up. And when you come out the next day, the miracle of being a human being, the brain cleans itself up at night. There's a lot of things that go on. I really should know the technical terminology. It, it kind of flushes away a lot of excess psychological noise and garbage, and it reorganizes. And very often, you come out the next day and those things that you were struggling with, you say, wow, I'm actually better. I actually got it a lot more. A lot of people in music will say, you know, after a good night's sleep, I woke up in the middle of the night the next morning and I had the, the music that I was looking for. I, I heard that Einstein used to say, he asked the question of a psychologist, why do I get all my best ideas in the morning? Well, you know, he might work himself an incredible amount and then didn't quite get it. And the brain reconfigures things and the next morning you're better. So educating people on the importance, making sure that you bring them along where they have little small victories when they challenge themselves and encouraging them is really essential in that particular area. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, let's get into... Obsession, you know, before this uh, call or before the recording, rather, we were talking about, you know, that that there seems to be kind of even a negative connotation about being obsessed and some misconceptions uh, about it. So you want to start off by talking about that? Yeah, I think sometimes when we love something so much, uh, we can start to feel self-conscious about it. Sometimes people knowingly or unknowingly can make us feel guilty about it. You know, like, oh, get a life. You ever heard that? Like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Oh, go get a life. That's all you think about. That's all you do. You know, but when you really look at people who have just a lifelong passion for something, uh, they're obsessed with it and they get so much uh, re 
rewards out of it, so much enjoyment. They learn a lot about themselves. They're always challenging themselves, uh, trying to get themselves to the next level. And and I think it's a great thing. And and really what comes to mind when I think about obsession, maybe the most obsessed person I can think of uh, besides Rafa Nadal, that's another one that's popped in my head, is is Tom Brady. You know, the guy is now 45 years old. I actually look at the way he plays and I'm thinking the last couple of years, the guy's actually getting better, not getting older and worse. He's somehow, uh, to me, looks like he moves faster than he did when he was younger. Uh, His arm looks just as strong and he's able to, you you know, uh, perform under extreme pressure in the game one of this year. He ran a two minute drill to, to, to lead his team to victory. So, and he's a guy that will watch film all the time. Like how many football games has he been involved in? And he's still watching uh, film on football. And uh, it's, it's that type of mindset that no matter what you do and what type of level you're at is going to uh, always keep your mind challenged and 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 keep you engaged and and I think that's what's most important even more than the actual results of winning and losing. Yeah, hundred percent, Peter. I mean, I think about the times where I accomplished you know the biggest goals that I've had. You know, whether that's um, you know any of the stuff that I do for tennis files, or if it's like you know like sectionals or you know a tournament and like. It's you know, I've been obsessed at those moments. You know, I've just been fully engaged in like just trying to study as much as I can and preparing as much as I can. And, you know, that's really kind of the key to success that I've found. You know, obviously there's certain people that, you know, maybe you have to dial a, a bit back at some points, but uh, I think for the most part and, and definitely for me, I, I think the the obsession route has been key to my development um, in both my um, career and, and tennis as well. So, you know, what are some steps to becoming uh, obsessed? Like what sorts of things do we want to do? Because that seems like, again, it's like a key trait to those who are successful. Well, I think you just leave no stone unturned and you just embrace uh, the idea of being obsessed and you don't feel guilty about it and you don't ever wonder or worry if you're you're doing too much. I mean, I'm, I'm t- obviously physically you can do too much if you feel like, well, I keep working out, I'm getting hurt all the time. I'm not talking about that. But uh, I even want to use you as an example in this is, you know, our tennis con coaches, the people who are presenters and coaches at tennis con, they are for the most part obsessed with what they do. I'm always looking on Instagram and seeing you interviewing somebody else where you have the tennis summit. Well, all throughout the year, you're interviewing all these really great coaches. Um, you took it a challenge uh, a couple of years ago to uh, get in better shape. And uh, I made a joke to you today. I sent a text. I said, I don't, I don't like your video you sent in this year because you look younger and fitter and have more hair than last year. You know, So like, and and so it's it's that that really is is so important i think is the idea of always keeping that hunger uh never feeling uh satisfied but but not in a frustrated way like it, like always going what is next i can't wait to see what's next what can i do what else can i learn and the idea of to me oh, i've seen it all i've heard it all in tennis i really i mean what else are you going to tell me that i already know you know, that to me is a limited mindset. And and a lot of people who think that way, from what I've noticed, they get to a certain level 
and then they plateau and then they're willing to hear an idea here and there get kind of engaged here and there but then something usually is a roadblock to where they either just stop learning or stop going to the practice court or they're trying a new idea to implement in their game they try it for a little bit oh that's not going to work for me and they that those are the people that stay stuck yeah and i have some follow-ups that i jotted down here so i guess first of all um how do you kind of balance out like obsession with maybe um maybe getting to be like too much or like unhealthy or stressful like what what's the key to to that sort of balance well another guy that i want to talk about is milan who uh is with 10 fit men mm-hmm. and he has now worked out for close to a thousand days you can look at his instagram i think he's up to like day 982 in a row or something like that he's so not beast. only is he working out yeah but the time it takes to then make sure at um making a video editing the video posting it that's another <laughs> you know set of uh, obsession dedication persistence consistency and he talked about that you know he used to play on the tour a bit he has been a practice partner to Djokovic. I've seen him hitting with one of the Bryan brothers. He's a very high-level player. And right now, he's not on the tour. He's coaching. But he wants to be fit and ready if he ever gets that call. He doesn't want to go, well, I'll get ready if I get the call. No, he wants to be ready from day one. And But he says the biggest reason that he does it is not for the likes on Instagram. It's not even to get the call. It's that inner drive. It's that idea that I'm proud of myself, that I've done it again, that I showed up again. And he said that, um, you know, he doesn't know when the streak is going to end. He wants the streak to just keep going. Because I asked him, when is the streak going to end? He says, I, I, I just want to keep going and going. And that, to me, really crystallizes what being obsessed and being dedicated and just enjoying the process. And here's another thing about enjoying the process. Enjoying the process doesn't mean that you're always in love or happy about what you're doing because he said that most days, which is incredible if you think about a guy who's gone 982 days in a row, he goes, most days I don't want to do the workout. That shocked me. He's like, most days I don't feel like doing it. And if you've ever seen the guy, he's certainly fit enough to where he could skip a day, a week, a month and still look ripped. So, but he said, but once I start and I get in it, I just get so happy that I'm doing it almost to the point where it like brings tears of joy, he said. And when he's done the high that he has, and he says, he, and, and that was his message to everybody. He's like, you know, when you do something, you know, even if it's something you don't want to do, but when you do it, after you're done, you're done, you never regret that you actually did it. Yeah, I, I love that. And you made me think about David Goggins, who um, you, you might have heard of. Uh, he has this book called Can't Hurt Me. And I see him, he's on Instagram, and he has like the most hilarious, um, you know, uh, stories and videos. But, you know, uh, uh, not safe for work. It could be some of those. But, yeah, he, you know, he, he does things that he hates. Like, he actually hates running. 
And that's like his primary exercise that he does every day for like so many miles. And he's ran like ultra marathons, things like that. And he also will do other things that he hates too, like, um, like diving and water, like, cause he, he's always hated swimming, but he did it, you know, as part of being like the Navy, uh, buds program. And yeah, you know, I think it's, it's just kind of training your mind as well, because a lot of times the mind controls us and we just do things habitually like automatically um and we seek comfort but you know he does that that those sorts of things that he hates so that he can retain control of himself and so i i just draw some parallels with milan here where he, he like he says that he hates working out but he's doing it just to you know show him show him show himself that he has that mental toughness to do things that he necessarily doesn't want to do or that he's fighting you know the um the creature comfort sort of thing um you know a lot of times we when we fight through it like milan has that great feeling of accomplishment so that's really like uh, a big thing i'm curious though kind of to dive a little bit deeper into milan's um whole thing and i don't know if you know the answer to this but like how could he work out, you know, close to a thousand days in a row without any sort of like, um, you know, injuries or anything like that? Is he given any insight into like, is he kind of having rest days where he does like minimal workouts? Because that's obviously something that, you know, people talk about a lot in terms of balance as well. Well, I think when you're, I mean, he's a pretty high level athlete. Like uh, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, go to Instagram and look him up, 10 fit men, Milan, you'll see him. He's got like a beard and he's ripped. And and, um, from what I can understand is I don't think he takes too many easy days. He doesn't take too many short days. Uh, uh, But but again, I think what allows him to do this, uh, of course, he is younger. I mean, uh, you're still pretty young and uh, but uh, you know not everybody can work out as as much as Milan I'm not I'm not saying I'm using him as an example as mental toughness but he's in an age where he can do it and he leaves no stone unturned like it's not like every single workout all he does is just like jump up and down do 100 kangaroo jumps and kill his body he also does (laughs) he does everything he's very very flexible yeah he's very explosive He, he he takes care of his entire body and and he eats right. So when you get in the habit of of doing all the right things besides just doing a hard workout, you can work out every day. His body's gotten used to it. His body is is kind of past the soreness. Not to say that he never gets up and feels sore or there's nagging things. I'm sure he has that. But also, high level athletes can tell the difference between. Uh, pain that's a soreness and pain that is an illness, uh, not an ill, an injury, I meant to say, that you know, like, well, if I keep doing this, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna not going to be able to play anymore. So I think he knows that. And uh, thank goodness he hasn't run into an actual injury um, that I know yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So more an obsession. I mean, how, and this, you know, this happens with me all the time. Like a lot of people, like, how do you deal with the the laziness factor because like you know you can have an obsession or maybe you develop one um you know for a little bit but then there's all these like roadblocks and like obviously like we talked about earlier like you know your mind wants you to do things that are comfortable um so let's say you know you you you, you're obsessed with like improving your serve but then you know maybe you you try a new technique and then it doesn't pan out and then like your favorite tv shows like on and you just want to do watch that instead of train like how how do you kind of (laughs) battle with that uh that conflict 
One other great presenter that's been part of TennisCon, been a part of the Tennis Summit, and we, we, we've both been so lucky to have him multiple times, is Rick Macy. And mm -hmm. so when I, when I hear you say that, I think it's about drinking your own Kool-Aid. You know, like Rick Macy mm -hmm. has come up with all these lines. Persistence is undefeated, you know, yeah. a run for every, every ball. And, right. and, and he's always positive. He, he, he tells me that he loves getting up at four in the morning and getting to the court and teaching from 6.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, a guy who's in his 60s. He tells me he loves to do it every day. And he has definitely trained his mind to where it's not like he's blowing smoke up his you-know-what. He actually bought in to his own propaganda. So, I mean, I don't know if you can call it propaganda or not, but what I'm saying is he's built, he's come up with all these mantras that he believes in that he also lives. And I think that that is important because if you have this where you're like, you have these beliefs and then you just really keep reminding yourself and reminding everybody about these beliefs, you can then deal with adversity. It's not like he says that, you know, there's no adversity in what he does and that it's not hard what he does, but. He's grateful for being able to do it every day, and he doesn't take it for granted. And I think that that's another thing. It's it's really easy as a tennis player because it is a tough sport to start to have a pity party, going, you know, oh well, you know, uh, I'm trying really hard, but you know, I'm still stuck at the same level. I've been trying to change my serve, but it's still the same. You know, I've been trying to beat this player, but I still lose to him or her. And you, it, it's easy to kind of do that and go, you know, well, I, I'm just not going to put as much time in or I'm going to give up or I'm going to go play uh, pickleball, right? Ah. So <laughs> it's, it's easy to do all that. But if you, if you then start to remind yourself, well, well why did I start this game in the beginning? Why? I just love tennis. I love the way it looks. I love the way the ball sounds. Uh, you know, uh, every day, I, I, the place where I live, I just absolutely love the weather that I get to play in, or I love the club that I belong to, or my coach is so cool, or I love learning from these online instructors. Like, keep reminding yourself of all the grateful things that you have associated and tied with tennis. You know, and 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 you got to remind yourself how good you really have it. Yesterday, I watched a video on the five worst jobs in the world are hard, are most dangerous, and. There are so many of them where people are literally working around acid and covering, carrying hundreds of pounds of sulfur on their back every day, which is not only hard to do, but life-threatening and climbing mm. up in trees and getting acai berries for everybody to have their nice smoothie. Like, <laughs> and, they're, and they're getting paid like $17 a day. Mm. And, and so if you're on a little bit of a losing streak – or you can't fix your serve in a month, you know, you, you really don't have, yeah, it's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great technique as well, uh, Peter. You know, when I'm on the court and I'm having a rough time, sometimes I think about how lucky I am to just play the beautiful sport of tennis and uh, just be out here and, you know, have all my limbs knock on wood and, and things like that. And so, yeah, the perspective is a big, big part of it um, <clears throat> for sure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, yeah. So, and again, you know, I have a sense of what this answer might be, but I'm curious, you know, on, on average, you know, how much time do you spend on the mental game with your players, uh, comparing that to, you know, the physical and, and the on-court and, and all that stuff? Uh, uh, if there's any sort of you know, average number, or does that just like vary depending on the player? Of course, you know, the easy answer is that it depends, but uh, let me try to be a little <laughs> bit more specific. Uh, I feel, and our team feels strongly that, uh, you know, this, all these parts of training that hopefully will create this comprehensive training, training uh, regime is that they are interacting well together. So, I'm not a big fan of, well, let's say that you, you know, you go to the dark room and you are listening to the whale music and, oh, you know, I'm going to be good. No, I, I don't believe in that one. I believe that this mental work is done on the court a lot. And, and, and you know, it's, it's basically we are talking about mental discipline and, and focusing skills that needs to be learned and concentration skills. So we try to do as much as we can on the court, creating situations that will uh, stimulate players to be in the tough position. We believe that we try to take the kids out of their comfort zone and then help them way back into it. Uh, and of course, there has to be an individual approach and that's when the mental coaching and the mental expert will jump in and they can spend some one-on-one -on -one time. And, and you know, when there are some deeper issues, which we all have. So to answer your question is it's, it's uh, it should be everyday topic that is discussed and it's an everyday process that you have to pay attention to it. Not that you have a mental class, you know, from three to four once a week or whatever. That's one way to do it. But I believe that you get the best results when it's, it's a part of daily workload and, 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 and you, you know, it's a part of the process. Yeah. Thanks for that, Vesa. And, um, yeah, I guess that kind of leads into what we talked about a little bit, you know, on our pre-call before we, uh, you know, started chatting on this uh, podcast. Uh, well, you mentioned the holistic pathway of development. So I wonder if you could talk more about that and why that's uh, so important for the success of, uh, of your players. No, that's my favorite topic at the moment. I know that holistic approach is kind of the in word at the moment, but I, I would like to give a little bit background when we started it and, and you know I mean we were all about high performance we were all about winning and, and we did a lot of winning and we did well but uh, as a player you know you win a big tournament and we all know how it feels the next day it's kind of it's behind you it feels good but there has to be something more than that and and um, I'm glad to say that you know I'm 57 years old now and I'm, I'm starting to mature a little bit so I'm starting to see the big picture that actually we are really lucky because I fully believe that tennis is the best sport in the world to teach really important life lessons and I'm not saying it only because I'm a tennis player and it's my sport I really think that the characteristics of this sport are absolutely fantastic to teach the life lessons 
to the kids and and uh, that's what we try to do in a sense that we are we are focusing on the whole kid the whole player not only as a tennis player but as a human being because again you know the younger players younger kids they all everybody has their own timetable you know you don't try to everybody to get to the next level of the same time you know they have their own timetable and you have to respect that one so uh, you know it's really important that we look at it that what is the best for the kid as a person and not only as a tennis player and i i'm totally convinced and and i'm lucky because i have data from the last 22 years here at jtcc that when we can achieve to get a player a really healthy perspective not only about the sports but about life i'm convinced that those players actually handle the pressure much better and and as a result they will be do more winning their pressure tolerance is much better they pressure management skills are much better when they have a healthy perspective about the life and 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 they you know it's you know the hitting the tennis ball is not the only thing they do they are normally very good academically you know they you know it goes hand in hand so i i, I feel that the more time we spend making them really well around it young student athletes is actually going to improve their tennis skills and more importantly that pressure tolerance will go through the roof and as a result they will win a lot and and it's it's a nice positive cycle that just uh, just keeps on going on so uh, you know that's kind of what we are trying to do it's 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 a lot of work it's it's um, but it's it's fun because uh, you know you 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 know that you are doing something really important other than just making them to hit some great forehands or backhands. So there's an old cliche, you know, when people ask coaches, you know, how the kids are doing, and and you answer that, hey, ask me in twenty years. But it is really it's really true, and and I am really big on so-called teachers' mentality with our coaches. Um, I do not want to hire anybody who doesn't have a teacher's mentality. That means that, uh, you know, you think like a teacher and, and you teach like a teacher. And, and, and you know, it's, it's a very unique mentality and mindset, which is, you know, difficult to, to, to live with uh, on daily basis. But that is really important to us. Uh, brilliant stuff, uh, Vesa. So, yeah, a couple follow-ups on that. First off, I'm curious how... Or, or what signs are there for you to um, determine whether like a prospective coach actually has the, um, you know, the skills that you're looking for um, to be able to t teach the students uh, how, how you would like? That's, that's a really great question. And I, and I hope that I'm getting better with that one. I, I think that we will never master it. But it's interesting, you know, you can look at it in a way that... Um, when uh, when we when we are players uh, you know we are taught to be you know selfish but as a teacher you have to be unselfish when you are a player you are taught to be kind of arrogant when you are a teacher you have to be humble when you are an athlete or player you are you know you are taught to be a uh, coach to be you know kind of you are a taker and when you are a teacher you have to be a giver and when you really start to think about that one, that is a 180 degree mental shift that has to happen. And that's why it's, it's sometimes very difficult for great players to become 
really good teachers because that shift is very difficult to do. That, uh, that uh, you know, talking about, you know, making it from, uh, from uh, being a taker and then suddenly you have to be a giver. And, and it sounds simple, but it's difficult. So I always look at that if a coach has a potential to, to give back and if they have a give back mentality, then are they thinking what is the best for the, the kid and instead of best for the ego or for themselves or anything like that. So I don't have a, you know, scientific model. I, I trust my gut feeling a lot. I, I try to talk to the coach and, and, and the teacher a lot and just get a feeling that if they have a ability to, to, to give back and, and it's a process, it doesn't happen overnight, but I believe that ability to learn to give back and see the value on it that's a must if and when you want to be a great teacher yeah very invaluable there thanks thanks Vesa. and then uh, about the healthy perspectives uh, i'm wondering if you could give us insight as well on you know how you go about uh you know teaching this to your students or maybe like what are the the most important elements of 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 having a healthy perspective no, that's, a, you know, we have done a lot of work on that one and, and, um, and we do certain things and I like to think that they are working great. And I, I, it's my recommendation and a lot of coaches and tennis centers would, uh, would uh, co- at least consider it. My point is that uh, it's important for young tennis players to see different kind of tennis players, uh, different kind of situations that players are facing I give an example. We do a lot of work with the Special Olympic athletes. Uh, we do a lot of work with uh, Paralympic athletes, uh, wheelchair athletes, uh, veterans, and and the purpose of that one is that uh, that you know young tennis players learn to see that hey there are all kind of tennis players around. We all have different challenges, and when it's hopefully daily and weekly happening that you can you know it changes your perspective it changes your way of thinking and it hopefully becomes part of you and that has been a really big part what we have done in us and i I believe that uh, you know you create that give back mentality but more importantly you you start to understand that hey you know there are all kind of players around all kind of situations and, and 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 you really start to you know to understand that, uh, you know, it's not the most important thing to smack the forehand as hard as you can. You know, you need to learn how to behave and you need to learn how to show respect, not only to the game, but your opponent. And it has so many positives, you know, involved when you get that perspective moving to the right direction. So just a practical, in practical terms, you know, we, we try to make sure that our players are spending a lot of time with the, all kind of different tennis players. And I, I think that over the time, it, it's, really, it's really going to show that, uh, you know, we can actually have an impact on, on the perspective of the young student athletes. Yeah, that's really brilliant, Vesa, because, um, you know, there's some times where um, maybe I'm having a tough day on the court and then I remind myself to be grateful that I'm even able to play, you know, where a lot of people are not able to play, a lot of countries, you know, there's no courts and things like that. Um, so it seems like when your players are exposed to, you know, uh, Special Olympics players and Paralympics players and so forth, they 
you know, they have that gratitude um, that, you know, they're maybe more capable of doing, you know, certain things or at least, you know, um, athletically. So I think that's really a brilliant thing. And, and so then how does that um, contribute to the type of, uh, as we talked about again before this uh, podcast, like positive versus negative pressure? How does that all uh, pan out there? No, that's, 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 uh, that's a great question. So, you know, I'm, I'm a simple guy and I look at things things in a simple way. I feel there's internal pressure and there's external pressure. Unfortunately, we cannot do too much about external pressure, but we can do something, a lot of things about internal pressure. And that's when you learn to see that, uh, that you know, there are different situations and that's when your perspective gets broader and better and, and you start to understand life and different situations better. I strongly believe that this internal pressure decreases or it becomes kind of a positive it becomes that that driving force or motivational pressure which is always helpful and um, you know unfortunately if that perspective is not right then you know our players are dealing with uh, really negative internal pressure and they are dealing with then additional negative external pressure and that's uh, you know it's very difficult to to be successful in that kind of uh, cycle. And unfortunately, it's happening all the time. So if we can lessen the internal pressure and, and, and turn it into something positive, I strongly believe that the stress management skills and the pressure tolerance skills will just skyrocket. And you know, not only results on the tennis courts will get better, but it's that life lessons that you can handle you know, almost everything. And, and, and so, so how, that's how I look at it, that uh, there are things that you can control and then things that you cannot. And external pressure is tough. It's always going to be there. And, and, but you have to have a strong perspective to be able to handle it. And that means that your internal pressure hopefully turns to be something positive. Gotcha, Vesa. And can you just give us an example, just for clarity's sake, of like um, a positive internal pressure versus a negative internal pressure? Sure. It's just like you actually mentioned it. It's, it's an old cliche, but uh, we always think as an athlete that, you know, oh, you know, we have the hardest and we are unlucky and, and, and you know, this is not fair. And, and it's just that's very normal. And, and um, but, you know, if you have lived through the experiences and seen other people to struggle with different kind of challenges and overcoming it, it gives you that confidence and knowledge. You know what? My situation is fine, and, 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 and it's not as bad as I think. And, you know, that gives you energy and, and confidence to move forward and tackle these external pressures. So that's what I mean, that, uh, you know, there are always, as we all know, there's always better players than we are somewhere, but there's also always people who have it much harder than we do. And, and that can hopefully put uh, things into the perspective. Yeah, for sure, Vesa. And in addition to um, having your players, um, you know, congregate with with, with um, you know Special Olympics and Paralympics and so forth, uh, players, are there any other techniques or things that you do to further, um, you know, alleviate uh, the internal pressures? You know, and you know, you mentioned those um, groups, but we also, you know, just the normal, uh, you know, we do a lot of outreach, uh, community outreach. You know, our players, mm. you cannot train here if you don't give back. So you have to go out to the community and you have to give back. And so we, we are 
kind of systematically working on that one. And, uh, and you know, so all these things combined, I, I, I feel like they can have an, uh, you know, positive impact on, you know, the amount of internal pressure and then how you deal with that one. So, uh, you know, we all know that this game is, it's, it's, it's really rough. It's, it's really tough mentality wise because, you know, there's so much losing happening. There are so many disappointments that happens in every match and, and you just have to hopefully have a perspective to deal with that stuff and, and keep on going forward. Definitely, Vesa. And is there a case study you can mention for us, you know, a particular player that, um, you know, maybe had a lot more um, negative internal pressure that um, you all worked on and then, you know, it helped their game a lot more as a result of that? Yeah, I mean, that uh, in, in, in different degrees, it's it's um, it's funny thing. It almost, it's with every player. It's with every player. But uh, the funny thing is that if we just want to use the, the names that we kind of all the people know, you know, Francis's and, and Dennis's and Robin's, you know, they all have learned to see through the life experiences that, hey, it's a privilege to play this game. And uh, by accident or by hopefully systematic efforts, you know, they learn to put uh, things into the perspective. Uh, we all see how Francis is, you know, on the court, you know, he, he simply loves the game. And, and he knows that it's a privilege to play the game. And, and, and I'm so happy for him now that it's really starting to show and, and he's now connecting with the crowds and everything. But he has always been the kid who just simply loved the game and, and, and that put things into the perspective. Other one is that, again, you know, is, is, is you know, we have a couple of guys like Mitchell Frank and Dennis Goodler. Uh, one went to the pro route and one went to the college route. They both became extremely successful. And, you know, when they were teenagers, you know, they help each other in a sense to understand the perspective and, and, and understand that, uh, that, uh, the, what you do on the court is important, but it is not the most important thing in the world. And I'm, I'm so proud of these guys because they are fantastic human beings at the moment. And I like to think that the tennis has a lot to do with that one. It really teaches you to be humble and, and, and understand that there's a much bigger picture out there. Then somebody like Robin Montgomery uh, is a great example you know, she actually started with our outreach program when she was five, six years old. And then uh, from there, you know, she was identified to come and, and, and train. And I'm, I'm so proud of her in a sense that when she was 11 and 12, she's, she was systematically giving back. She was on those sides mm -hmm. back and, and teaching some other underprivileged kids and, and, and teaching and, and, and motivating. And, and she keeps on doing that one. So there's an other example of somebody who just has a healthy perspective nowadays how to compete and and knows that uh, you know there are bigger pictures than just hitting the tennis ball and and like i said these are just examples of names that everybody knows i'm really proud of the fact that that you know there are tons of players who are playing college now but they have these skills now and I know for the fact that they are going to be successful whatever they do in their lives. So I just highlighted those few because it just, you know, you can see it on every day or every week on, on tennis channel. And, and, but I, I can tell that uh, 
you know, these these uh, players, you know, one of the reasons they are successful is because, you know, they really have a perspective what they are doing and how they are doing things. And, and, and it's really paying off at the moment. Love that. Love hearing that. And, you know, big respect to uh, to your programs and, you know, requiring, uh, you know, community outreach. I think that's uh, it's amazing. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people love to hear about the, the top players. So I, I am curious about uh, Francis, uh, of course. Um, during his time at JTCC, and it's it's interesting that um, you know actually my my former teammate uh, you know had coached him for a while there. Um, but uh, but what were some of the biggest things that that you all worked on um, with with Francis, like that re- you think really made a huge impact um, on his uh, on his game moving forward? I would love us to take all the credit in the world that we created <laughs> Francis this and that, but unfortunately. I cannot do that. It's uh, one thing that we did do is we created an environment that uh, that he could really, you know, uh, develop and, and 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 create this love of the game. I think that is that is one of the biggest things that, you know, Francis is one of the players who loves the game more than anybody else. You know, the tennis was his best friend, and 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 he took a great care of his best friend. He. He spent so much time against the hitting the ball, and, and, and we try to encourage that one. It's not only, I, I always remember, and I have talked to, you know, one coach who was really helping him a lot was uh, Frank Salazar in a, in a later part of Francis's junior career. And we always remember when Frank was working with Dennis and Mitchell, and, you know, when they, those guys were like 14 years old, Francis was like nine years old, and he was just, Sitting on the tennis court, you know, his, you know, his feet didn't even touch the ground, you know, and he was just <laughs> observing and learning and, and just, you know, paying so much attention. Then after that, he would go and hit against the wall. And, and you know, and, and so that is kind of the environment that, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to take a credit that we designed it that way. It ha- happened to happen that way. And we kind of acknowledge that one. So now we try to create the environment that kids have a chance to to learn from other good players and they get that self-belief belief that it can be done. And then we encourage them to go and, and, and practice and train and hit against the wall and learn to make mistakes and, 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 and learn from those mistakes. So kind of that freedom of making mistakes. And, and that was Francis, you know, he's a great pick moment player at the moment, a big point player. When he was a junior, he was absolutely one of the best in the world to play the big points because first he had a good perspective, but again, you know, he, he just loved the game more than just winning or losing. And, and that kind of um, has helped him a lot. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed this Mental Game Masterclass episode. And once again, to check out the full interviews with Nick Saviano, Peter Freeman, and Vesa Ponka. Please check out the show notes page or go to tennisfiles.com slash podcast and you can find them uh, or the links to them there as well as um, each individual episode in the big gray podcast player on that page. And I would also really appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode and found value from it to improve your game that you uh, would leave a review for the podcast at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app that you use to listen to the show. I just find that Apple Podcasts 
is the most helpful for the show in terms of more views and ratings translate to it being more visible for more people, which just helps all tennis players. So thanks a lot in advance for your help with that. Really appreciate that very much. Also want to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by Winston Churchill. And he said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. A really fantastic quote that um, changing and experimentation as was discussed in this episode is really a big key to uh, improving yourself and uh, getting the most out of yourself and think of change as little experiments. I find that to be very helpful and to kind of in a way reduce the pressure of it being a big change versus just trying something out and you can always adjust later just like uh, scientists do I believe. So um, with that thanks so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host Mirabon signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.